So what I want to do now is for the next five weeks, we're going to start a, a sermon series, and we're going to have a sermon series for five weeks uh, before we start uh, studying the book of Acts. Uh, my friend Chris Bruns, uh, many of you know him. He's been here before. He's a pastor down in Illinois. Uh, he and I are working on a sermon series together, and uh, we've kind of outlined it together and, and, and looked at how we're going to look at the passages. The sermons are going to be different. He's going to study and, uh, for, and make sermons for his church, and I'm going to do the same thing for here. But there's this common study that, that he and I are doing. We've never done this before. We thought it would be an interesting exercise. But um, sharing some resources, encouraging one another, setting up weekly check-ins to see how the studies are going, things like that. So that's going to start in, uh, in about six weeks is when we're going to start that Acts study. We'll take a break, of course, for Advent and then get back into it in the new year. But, um, but the point is, is that we have about a five-week window before we're going to start that series. And what I want to do is I, I want to take uh, this passage of Scripture particularly and talk about God. Um, this is, a, uh, we're going to be in this text uh, for three sermons. Uh, that's the plan, at least. And I've titled this uh, Knowing God. And if that uh, sounds, if that title sounds a bit familiar to you, it's because there's a great book by the same title. A Christian theologian and author J.I. Packer went home to be with the Lord last month. Uh, he was in his 90s, he's written several books. Uh, probably his most well known book is, is Knowing God. It was one of the best books I've ever read. It literally changed my thinking and changed my understanding of God many years ago when I first read it. And it's a book I think every Christian should read, honestly. Now, his book isn't the basis for our sermon series, but it does have a similar objective. And so as I was trying to think of a title, I thought, you know, I am going to go with Knowing God uh, because it is trying to accomplish what I, uh, it does communicate what I hope to accomplish in the sermon series is that we get to know God a little bit better. And that we become more in awe of who he is. But also, I, I chose it so that if you keep hearing it enough, that maybe you'll remember that that's the title of a really good book, and then you'll pick it up and read it sometime. Um, it's, a, it's a really, really helpful book that I, I think every Christian should have in their library. So what I hope to do today is I hope to shine some light on some, some maybe some subconscious thoughts or even conscious misunderstandings that we might have about God today. And so, if I was going to give you my, my sermon thesis, this is it right here. God the Father loves you. God the Father loves you. Okay, now, does that seem obvious, or does that seem kind of basic to you? You think, well, wait a minute here. I thought you were going to clear up a misunderstanding, Jeremy. I, I thought that this was going to be something that's like, you know, reacquainting or getting to know something about God that I didn't know about. Of course, I know God loves me. That's a basic of Christianity, right? Well, yes, it is, but sometimes we forget what is most basic to us. But also, notice who we're talking about in this statement. We're specifically saying that God the Father loves us. We didn't say Jesus loves you, although he does. But we're saying God the Father loves you. And I think that this is important because sometimes people view, and I know that there's even a tendency in my own soul to kind of in the trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, to put Jesus as the compassionate one and the loving one 
and in the part of the Trinity, and where the Father is more of like the angry one, the one who's ready to, to pour out wrath and pour out justice and pour out his punishment and sin. And Jesus is kind of like the, the good one and the kind one and the gentle one, where the Father is not so much that way. And if I start talking about it in terms like this, you probably are thinking, okay, maybe that's not right, but in practically how we worship God or think about God, perhaps that's a tendency we, we fall into. I know that's something that I, I will tend to uh, tend to fall into at times when I think about this. And, and it's for good reason. I mean, you know, God is said to hate sin, and he did pour out his wrath on Jesus. There's verses like Hebrews that says our God is a consuming fire, right? You read stories in the Old Testament of, of the earth swallowing up and you know, opening up and swallowing up people and God's judgment and things like this. And so it's easy to think about how God is, is almost harsh and, 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 and inflexible. And then Jesus came and, and it kind of softened it a little bit. But to think about God in that way is to misunderstand who he is, and really misunderstand the relationship that Jesus and the Father have. Uh, he's talking about that relationship. I think that also leads to some of the misunderstanding. You know, Jesus is known as the advocate or the intercessor for us. He makes intercession for us, and he's our advocate. And some people tend to understand that is where God is ready to pour out wrath, and he wants to pour out wrath. But then Jesus comes to our rescue and says, no, no, please don't do this. And God relents and says, okay, I won't, because you said not to. But that's to misunderstand that role of Jesus even. And so while it is true that objectively God required and he needed to secure payment for sin, that's an objective truth. It's a mistake to take that objective truth and to assume that subjectively he didn't care about his creation. And so he did, he did, the Father does care about his creation. The Father does love creation. And even though he objectively needed payment, there, that doesn't mean he doesn't care and have compassion or show mercy towards his creation. And so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been united in their desire to see mankind saved from their sins. And so what I hope to do this morning is, is either maybe uh, we learn for the first time or we're just reminded again of how amazing our Father really is. And so we're going to look at this text and we're going to remember as we go throughout the rest of the sermon, it's a little bit longer of an introduction, but as we go through this, we're going to remember that the subject here is God the Father that we're talking about. So look at the text. There's, there's a few reasons that I, I want to point out the, how amazing God is and, and what he shows in this text, what uh, Paul, the apostle who wrote this book, shows in his text. And, and first of all, it says in verse 4, but it says, but God, and this is after describing how, de how desperate of our condition was and how bad we were and how we needed something. It says in verse 4, but God, who was rich in mercy. And so the first point that I want us to drive home today and talk about just for a minute here is that God has more mercy than you will ever need. Need. And this is the Father here, right? Okay, this isn't Jesus that we're talking about, although they're one. But the point that Paul is making here is that God being rich in mercy. He, he is, think about this, God, we know that God owns everything. We know that God is infinite. We know that God is eternal. We know this about God. But, but look at how Paul, what he says that God is rich in. To, 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 to have someone that we know is wealthy and to say, but they're rich in this, 
is, is to highlight something that is very important about them. And God here, according to Paul, according to this inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this word, in this Bible, God is rich in mercy. The Father, the one who is a consuming fire, right? He is rich in mercy, willing to withhold what should be dealt out. The punishment that we deserve, that we should have, is, is more than willing than God, the Father's uh, perspective, to not be poured out on us because he's rich in mercy. Now, this is a theme throughout the whole Bible, and again, sometimes particularly in the Old Testament, we think about God as being you know, harsh and cruel and judging sin. But, but honestly, the idea of God's mercy is all throughout the scriptures, including the Old Testament here. And, you know, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 is one of those verses. If you're taking notes, you might want to write down Exodus 34, 6. That is, it talks about how the Lord is merciful and gracious. In Psalm 103, in verse 8, put it on the screen. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Did you see that? He's merciful and gracious. This is how God is described in, uh, in Psalm 103. Remember our sermon series uh, from Jonah. That was the main point, God's deep mercy. Remember in Jonah chapter 4, when Jonah was upset with God for not destroying Nineveh, he says, I knew, I knew that you are a God of mercy. I knew that you were gracious. I knew that you were slow to anger. I knew that you were merciful. So this is what the prophet knew about God. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 says, Who is like, like you, or who is a God like you, pardoning the iniquity and passing over transgression over the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. This is the theme all throughout the Bible. The Father, God, is rich in mercy. And in another place, Paul calls the Father this. He says, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. You see, this is the God that we serve. This is the God that has saved our souls. This is the God that we worship today is, is a God of mercy. He is rich in mercy. I once uh, went to a really expensive steakhouse with a friend and uh, we were in downtown Chicago. And he told me he was paying for the meal and to, to order whatever I wanted. Now, I knew that he had the means to pay for that meal. I, I knew that he, that would not have uh, set him back at all. And so we did. We ordered steaks. And uh, I think that may have been the first time where I recognized that there are restaurants where a side does not come with the main dish, that you have to pay for everything individually. Um, thankfully, I didn't have to pay for it that day. But uh, my friend, he said, order up. And we did. And I, I ordered the side. I ordered the, the, uh, the steak, which was awesome, and ordered the drinks. And we just had a great time. And I knew that he could pay for it. And so it, it didn't bother me at all. There was no anxiety in my heart at all when the waiter came with the bill. There was no anxiety in my heart at all when we were ordering food because I knew he not only had the means to do it, but he wanted to do it. There was a delight that he was having and paying for my meal. And there was more than just me there. We had other people with us and he was paying for our meals. And he delighted to do that. He had the means and the motivation to do that. You see, that's like God's mercy. 
He's got the means. He's got the motivation. We don't have to worry about if God is tired of us or God is, is uh, so disappointed in us that there's not going to be uh, any uh, mercy left that as if he's dispensed all his mercy and all of what that he's, uh, we've used up our quota. No, God is rich in mercy. So mercy is not just a Jesus thing. It's a God thing. And he is rich in mercy. And so consider this. The debt that your sin incurs is no match for the riches of God's mercy. Think about that. No matter what your sin is, it's not, it doesn't cause a debt so great that God's mercy can't pay for it. I'm not saying that we should live however we want and don't care about it. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we repent of our sins. But that's the key is that we can repent of our sins knowing that he will forgive us because he is rich in mercy. And so never forget this. Never forget the fact that, that the God who created you, the God who loves you, he is someone who is so rich in mercy that no matter what you have done in the past or what you will do in the future, it will never exhaust the riches of God's mercy. Can you see how that's an encouragement? Can't you see that when you're frustrated with yourself of how you've sinned yet once again, that you can find mercy in God? And again, that doesn't give you license just to continue in sin. By no means, Paul says in Romans. But it does give us hope that we, when we repent of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so right now, you and I, if we are believers in Christ, we live in the mercy of God. And as frustrating as life can be, and a lot of us are dealing with frustrations right now, it is still, because of God's mercy, regardless of how frustrating life is, we still have a better life than we deserve. Because God is rich in mercy. Well, that's not the only thing that we need to look at in this text here. We see that, first of all, that God's mercy is he has more mercy than we'll ever need. Secondly, what we see in this text is that God loves you more than you could ever dare hope. Now, remember, we're, we're not talking about Jesus here, although he does love you, okay? And they're one, right? Okay, but the, the emphasis here is the Father, and the Father loves us. Did you see in verse 4, he says, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And so everything we just talked about in God's mercy, how rich it is and how awesome it is and how great it is and how plentiful it is and how it cannot be exhausted. Did you see what Paul says why he's motivated to be merciful to us? It is not because Jesus talked him out of it. It is not because someone, there was a cosmic debate in eternity past where Jesus started talking to God and saying, hey, I really like these people and all this and so that we're going to create and, and, and I don't want you to destroy them so let me go in this place and there's this battle and that's a theory out there. And it's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that from eternity past, the father and the son have been united in their plan. But it, so it wasn't because God doesn't show mercy because Jesus talks him out of showing wrath and pouring out his wrath. No, that's not what happens at all. The reason why God shows mercy is because it says here in verse four that he had great love for us. Great love. 
That's what you have. That you and I, if we are believers particularly, we are objects of God's affection and God's love. And how we ever think that we could deserve that or we could live life as if that doesn't matter or live life in ignorance of that or live our lives according to our own passions, our own desires, is, is, is an appalling thing because God has shown so much love to us that he was so merciful to us. John 16, 27, it says, the Father himself loves you. That's what Jesus says. The Father himself loves you. And so again, there's a misunderstanding sometimes that God is ready to pounce and he's ready to to exact uh, um, vengeance. And Jesus is there begging him not to do it. That's not what's happening in heaven. God has shown his love and they are united in us. And so anything that happens to us, is, is because, and it comes out of God's love for us. And that's really difficult at times. When the times are good, we're, we're, it's easy for us to remember that. When, when something happens that is uh, a pleasant in our eyes or something that we've prayed for and God has answered that, it is very easy at that point to thank him for his love. But you know where it's hard? It's hard in moments like this when the school year is just about ready to start and now all of a sudden things have to change at the last moment. And now we're trying to figure that out. It's frustrating, but we're still objects of God's love, and he's still sovereign. It's frustrating when we can't do what we want to do or trips get canceled for one reason or another, or sickness happens, whether it's related to the virus or not, or something happens. It's, it's harder in those moments to remember that we are objects of God's love, but we are. And this is something that the Bible is very clear about. And so maybe some of you who are watching today, this is the first time that you're hearing some of these things, or, or maybe you're, you're still trying to figure out this whole, what the Bible teaches about Jesus and God and all that. Let me just encourage you. The Bible says that we need to come to God. The Bible says that, that if we do come to God, it's because he's pulling us towards him. And so if you have these questions right now, if you're thinking about this and you're saying, you know, I, this sounds so good that the creator of the universe, that God would love me so much and I want to know about that and I want that to be my existence, then that is God pulling you towards him right now. And so the Bible is pretty clear. We just confess our sins and we say, God, we know that we are sinners, meaning that we do things against God's law, meaning that we are separated from God because, and that we are deserving of death, not just physical death, but spiritual death. That happened back in the garden when it says, in a day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. Romans chapter five says that because sin entered into the world and, and now that got passed on to every human being. And so we're all under the curse of sin. But this is why Jesus came and died. It, it wasn't so that, that because God the Father was being irrational and Jesus wanted to step in. It was because both of them had a plan to show love. Really all three, the, the entire Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so it was out of love that God did this. It was out of love that he showed that he says of his great love with which he loved us. And so remember this, that in times that are difficult or in times that are confusing, remember that we are in God's tender, loving hand, not in his harsh, vindictive hand. We're in his tender, loving hand. I, I like what the Puritan John Flavel said. He said this, remember that this God in whose hand are all creatures, he is your father and is much more tender of you than you are or can be of yourself. 
what Flavel is saying there is he's saying that as much as we want to treat ourselves kindly and we want to treat ourselves well and we have our best interest always in mind, or at least we think we do, the Father's so much more. So much more that, that God wants to show care and gentleness towards us. So in other words, our gentlest treatment of ourselves is less gentle than the way your heavenly Father treats us. Our heavenly Father treats us. And so let's, let's be encouraged by that. So the implication is, is that God's, the Father's love for you is greater than you could ever hope. It's greater they could ever hope. And so when he says here, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love of which he loved us, what Paul is saying here is he's saying that there is no other person, there is no other being that has a greater amount of love than the Father towards us. So this is not, again, a disparity in the Trinity and the Godhead. This is the Father showing love to you. And so that plan for Jesus to come and die on the cross, as we talked about here, that was out of the Father's plan. That was the Father's plan, along with the, with the Spirit, along with the Son, that it was uh, before the creation of the world, this plan was in place, that God would show His love through Jesus Christ. So they're united in this. And so when we think of God, let's not think of Him as vindictive, or let's not think of Him as harsh or cruel. He's the Father of mercies, and He has great love. There's one other point that I want to bring out here as we bring this to a close here, is that verse 5, it says that this was happening. So notice the timing of all this. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Now that phrase, made us alive together, is the main verb here in this very long sentence. But uh, and we're going to talk about that next week. That's the point that we're going to be talking about next week. But as I finish this sermon this week, what I want us to consider is that it says that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so the final point today is that God already knows you at your worst. It was even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In verse 5. And you can't get worse than dead. Uh, I was thinking about using this illustration uh, of the Princess Bride, and I I noticed that Wayne uh, put in his blog uh, today, he posted, and he referenced this uh, same uh, movie and the same scene. And for those of you who know the movie The Princess Bride, you'll remember that there's a scene where uh, the main character is, is injured and they think he's dead and they bring him to uh, this, uh, this one character uh, in, in the movie. And, uh, and so he... Uh, um, they think he's dead, and they're saying, can you help him? And he goes, well, he's not dead. He's only mostly dead, right? And so then, they, of course, he gives him a potion, and then, you know, he uh, gets better and storms the castle and, and has, a, has a victorious time. If I just spoil the movie for you, I apologize. But the point is, is that there's that humorous line, he's only mostly dead. And it's humorous because that's, you can't be mostly dead. You're either dead or you're not. And... Um, in our situation, spiritually, we were dead. You can't get worse than that. There, there's, there's no uh, uh, greater or, or worse, would be the better way of putting it, there, there's no worse condition to be in than spiritually dead. And that is how we were before God, before God's intervention in our lives. And so the point is that he has already seen us at our worst. You know, when establishing relationships, that we care about, we, we go to great lengths to put our best foot forward, don't we? 
Now think about when, uh, for those of us who are married, the first time that we started dating our spouse um, or seeing our spouse, you know, there, were, there was a lot of extra effort that went into those first meetings and probably that those of us who have been married for a while put into today, right? Um, the point is, is that once we get comfortable and uh, we get comfortable with that relationship with that person, then we allow our true selves to come to light. Because in the case of marriage, they're already stuck with us, and so there we go, right? But the point is, is that, um, you know, as the relationship goes on, we feel safer, we feel more secure, then we start, you know, letting who we really are out, right? And that doesn't have to be just in marriages. That, that can be in business relationships. It can be in any type of relationship. Not so with God. You know, we, we, don't, we didn't have a best foot forward to start with God, where then he says, okay, I'll save you from your sins. And then later on, he finds out how bad we really are. There's, there's never a moment in time where when we sin, Jesus says, man, I, I didn't realize you would be that bad. If I would have known you'd been this bad, I wouldn't have gone to the cross for you. There's never a moment where God is surprised by the depths of our sin. Because when he first showed mercy to us, the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That is where the relationship started. It started at our worst. And then he changes us and makes us better. It's the exact opposite of how a lot of relationships go on earth. But God is someone who is merciful And it's important to understand that God's mercy and love came to us when we were at our worst. And so there's no way for us to uh, surprise God. There's no way for us to disappoint God because God already knows that we are at his worst, that we were at our worst. Now I need to, let me clarify something I just said there. I said there's no way to disappoint God. What I mean by that is because our sin does disappoint God. What I mean by that, though, is that God is not uh, surprised by that. And he doesn't say, well, well, I didn't know that it would cause so much work to save you or would require so much mercy to save you. That's never the case with God. And so what I hope to accomplish today, I hope to accomplish this time of just reminding us of these tremendous truths about the Father, about how that this was all come from the Father's perspective here. And so that when we pray to our Father, that we can pray to, to Him knowing that with the confidence that He is someone who is merciful and loving and knows our flaws and knows our weaknesses already. And we don't have to pretend. We don't have to try to hide who we really are from God because He knows us and knows our weaknesses already. And we can have this relationship with Him. And He is a loving, gentle, gracious God. So I hope that today has been a good reminder of that. And what he does for us is that he makes us alive. And we'll talk about that next week. So part of the confusion about God the Father, about God is that uh, as a father, is that he is a spirit, right? And it's hard for us to relate to. It's hard for us to know how to, to, to have a relationship with a spirit. It, it's, uh, it's difficult to describe a spirit, let alone have a relationship with him. And it would be much, it'd be much more easier if God were in a form that we could relate to, wouldn't it? You know, in John chapter 14, Philip asked Jesus to show the disciples the Father. This is what Philip was wrestling with in John 14. He says, can, can you show us the Father, Jesus? Can, can you show us who he is? Because we're to worship him, we're to follow him, but can you show him to us? 
You remember how Jesus responded? He says, how long have I, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show me the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This is John chapter 14. He said this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so Jesus, according to Hebrews, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the embodiment of who God is. He is what we could call the tangible God. And so while we're looking at this and we're trying to think of of God our Father, and some of us have had great relationships with our dads, and some of us have had terrible relationships with our dads. Some of our dads have been loving and kind towards us. Talking about our earthly dads, have been loving and kind towards us, so it's easier for us to see this about God. And so whatever way that I show love and kindness and mercy to my children is just a faint uh, representation of, of who God is to them. But some people have had fathers who've been abusive and terrible towards them. And if that's your case, then that is the exact opposite of who God the Father is for you. So my goal today is just to remember that God, it causes us to remember that God the Father loves you. Jesus is this visible manifestation of God. So if you say, well, how can I know the Father? Get to know Jesus. When we see Jesus' heart in the four Gospels, we're seeing the mercy, love, and tenderness of God the Father. They are not at odds. Jesus is not talking the Father out of anything. They are together enacting their plan of love and mercy and tenderness and compassion. And so as you consider the Father's heart for you, remember that he is the Father of mercies. He is not cautious in his tenderness towards you. He multiplies mercies that are matched for your every need. So I know that today someone is watching this and maybe they need to hear this for the first time. Let me encourage you to bow your head and your heart to the Lord Jesus and as a father, worship him, call out for salvation. Send me a note if you need more questions answered. Uh, I would be more than happy to talk with you. But I also know people are watching and need to be reminded of this truth today. We live in chaotic times. Plans change at the last minute. The future is uncertain in many ways. But on this issue is sure that Jesus and God, and most importantly we're talking about today, God the Father loves you. So take a breath. Close your eyes. Inhale this wonderful truth that the Father loves you. Let me pray. Father, I pray that our time together today would have been encouraging, uplifting, honoring to you. I pray that we would um, worship you. Our response that, that we really have to have after discussing this is really just worship. So I pray that we would take time today to worship you and to uh, be grateful for your mercy and love and care for us. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.